readers! Welcome to Books Connect Us from Penguin Random House. This is a podcast about staying connected with each other and the stories and authors who inspire us. Lorenzo Carcaterra is the number one New York Times bestselling author of Sleepers and a former writer and producer for Law & Order. In his new memoir, These Dreamers, Lorenzo offers a heartfelt homage to the women who taught him courage, kindness, and the power of storytelling, his mother, his grandmother, and his late wife. Let's join editor Anne Shagnot in conversation with author Lorenzo Carcaterra. Hey, Lorenzo, how's it going? Hey, Anne, how are you? How's the, how's, yeah, how's the dog? He's good. We actually just, um, we just drove down to North Carolina. So he's a, a mountain puppy today. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. I did something foolish last night before we get to this. I stopped at uh, the animal hospital. Uh, the key yeah. word could have been hospital. Yeah. Asked if I could adopt a dog if they had adoptions. <laughs> and the guy looked at me and goes, it's a hospital, dude. Right. <laughs> That's it. Okay. Okay. Fine. Yeah. All those dogs are um, probably not in condition to be adopted at the exactly. moment. Exactly. I'll get yeah. one eventually. We passed a billboard on the way down advertising um, bulldog puppies. So if you need Can me it? to p- pick one up on the way back to New York. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would take a bulldog puppy in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll have to, to send some, uh, I'll send some pics if we stop in. I should have put a bulldog in. Uh, Three Dreamers is one of my few books, one of the few books I've written, right? That doesn't have a dog in it. It's the first one that we've worked on together that doesn't have a dog in it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a real editorial oversight. (laughs) Is it too late? It's too late for us to stop the presses and go back, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, But for everyone listening to this podcast, sorry, there's no dog. There's no dog. (laughs) But there is in the next one. So um, you should buy both of them, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. Um, that's a pretty good segue um, into uh, your your new book, Three Dreamers, um, which is a memoir and actually the first memoir that we've worked on together. The, the last few books have been um, crime novels and then the next one is going to be a mystery novel. Um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you um, at this stage in your career to turn to memoir? Well, the, I mean, it wasn't like a conscious decision. I wanted always to, I wanted to write about my grandmother that I clearly wanted to do. And I wanted to write about Susan. So the, one of the initial thing, I mean, I didn't think grandma could hold as we, I was, we later found out she can hold a whole book. But, <laughs> More <laughs> on that to come. <laughs> I didn't think she could, her section could be uh, stretched into a book. And I didn't want to do, I didn't want to do a cancer memoir. I mean, there's so many uh, out there that have been done and have done very well. And I didn't want to be just, you know, and also there are certain things in, in a cancer memoir that are just, um, you just don't want to revisit it. You know, at least right. I didn't want to revisit. So the question then became, um, how do I write about grandma and uh, Susan? And then sort of my, just for uh, clarity for listeners, that Susan is your wife, my late um, wife yeah. right? And who, who at the end of her life suffered from, from yeah, cancer. Yeah, three women. Just to, three women are my grandmother, my mother, and my wife. So then the the reason Mom came in, I knew I knew I needed a, the third woman. Was Mom is sort of the only anchor to everyone in the book. I mean, she was the only one who knew Nona Maria, and she knew Susan, and and then I was thinking of. Uh, how each of them affected my life in, in different ways. And 
and it was always going back to storytelling. I mean, um, you know, Nona, you know, at an early age, I kind of foolishly told everybody I wanted to be a writer when I was 14. And, and Nona, who had never had a book in her house and uh, read anything, as far as I know, kind of embraced this idea that I could tell stories. I mean, in her mind, it became, oh, you just want to go tell stories. That's fine. Um, my mother was more negative as you know, about it, and but that negative tit and that negativity kind of reinforced my desire to do it. And Susan was very encouraging all through it. So I thought that would be the link between the three, and and um, and somehow you know we pulled it off thanks to your help, and uh, we got a book out of it, and uh, I think a pretty good one. I think it was very, um, um, you know, I was worried about it. I thought it'd be a very emotional journey, and I thought it'd be. Uh, disturbing but it wasn't actually in, in fact it was very um it brought back you know some bad memories but also quite a few good memories well we i remember as we were talking you know as we were doing the edits of, of the the novel you were sort of saying at different points oh i expected the nona maria section to be the hardest to write or right. i i expected the section with my wife to be the hardest to write you know because you know the ending there is obviously very sad and, and very emotional um can you talk a little bit about that? You know, this is such an emotional book. There, there are some really hard things that you have to dig into. What was it like trying to sort of excavate some of those memories and, and translate them to the page? Well, years ago, when I was very young, I, I used to do magazine profiles. And one of the authors I profiled was Harry Cruz, a great, I think he was a really underrated writer. And he wrote my favorite memoir. It's a childhood. And it's a biography. It's called Childhood, a Biography of a Place. It's essentially the first five years of his life. And he grew up very poor. At the time, Bacon County, Georgia was the poorest county in the United States. And so when I started, uh, when I, the first book I did was about my parents. So I said, you know, how do I do this? He said, you just basically have to look at a, like having a wound on your arm or your hand and pick at it until it bleeds again. He said, you got to be bloody honest about it. At the same time, by being bloody honest about it, you're gonna find the truth. And in the truth, you might get some um, pleasant memories out of it. So yeah, it was um, it was very, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I got to, I made my peace with my mother because my mother and I had a very, um, I guess, rocky relationship in the sense that we kind of bickered. I mean, she looked at me as, um, when she had a bad marriage with my father, clearly. and. And she couldn't take her ang uh, nervousness, anxiety, and an anger out on him, so she took it out on me. The idea of me being a writer just, you know, put her over the rails. I mean, she had no concept what that was. She wanted me to be a, ba a bank clerk, and <laughs> that was her uh, highest ambition for me. Um, but yeah, going in, I thought Nona Maria would be the easiest, and Susan the hardest, and Nona Maria proved the most difficult, as as we discussed, you and I, and. And Susan actually turned out to be easiest because there's more humor in that. There's a lot more fun in the early parts of that section. And my mother was more, I kind of made my peace with her by the end of the piece. I, you know, I had, I'd had going in st still some anger, resentment and, and, and uh, those kind of feelings. But by the end, I completely understood, you know, she was cornered. She was in a corner and she was needed to attack somebody and that somebody was me. But by attacking me, she kind of, gave me additional uh, uh, encouragement to go forward and prove her wrong. And maybe that was her motivation all along. I don't know. I mean, she wasn't that complicated a person. It was very cut and dry with her, as it was with Nona. Nona was just, 
you know, I mean, Nona, as you know, led by example, she never said, okay, you're going to be a writer. Here's what you should read. And here's what you should do. She just would, once she realized it was storytelling. And I think my, once my mother realized it was storytelling, they just, just simply tell stories. Yeah. And, and Susan just made my stories better. That was the, the, the link between the three of them. We should mention here that Susan um, started as your editor um, and my that boss, you, yeah. she yeah. was your boss. Yes. <laughs> um, so she made your stories better in a very literal way um, yeah. and supported your career in a very literal way as well. No, she um, hated me when we first met. I mean, we were friends first, but uh, but prior to the friendship, I all my buddies, at the, we were both working at the Daily News. She was an editor. I was sort of like a cabin boy. I was I was a copy boy slave, essentially. Uh, uh, movie timetable. None of these jobs exist anymore, right? There are no more copy boys and there were no movie timetables. So I feel like a caveman who just decades ago was doing these jobs. And no one did. <laughs> um, so I edited, you know, there was a, uh, there was like a, a sort of committee, like the editors were here up, up above and, uh, and the, we were at the bottom. And so if you ever had to have conversations with editor, it would have to be with any editor. It would have to be like a general, hey, how's it going? Nothing specific, nothing like, hey, do you have a minute? Do you want to have lunch? That was like beyond asking an editor to lunch. With, you, you could have, they couldn't fire you, but they would have promoted you to some, you know, their printing place or someplace where you wouldn't be seen ever again. So, um, yeah. And then, then, you know, I had a friend, we became friends and uh, she wasn't, then I got promoted and she was my editor. So, you know. That was a little awkward, I guess, at first. Can you tell the story just briefly of um, the role the Three Stooges played in the two of you getting together? Because this is a story that's in the book that I really loved a lot. Um, and I think it, it kind of illustrates, as you were talking about, the, the fact that that section really does have a, a lot of sense of, a, a big sense of humor um, and a lot of love clear on the page. Well, to get to get an assignment at the paper, it was a union place. So an editor could not come to someone like me. I, at the time, I was a movie timetable clerk and say, hey, Lorenzo, I'd like you to write so, such and such a piece. So you couldn't do that. You also couldn't go to an editor and say, I want to interview Clint Eastwood. He has a new movie coming out because they have staff to do that. So you had to come up with ideas that the staff wouldn't come in with and the editor wasn't thinking about. So back then, there were only... I think five stations in New York. And one of them was running the Three Stooges Marathon. And it was also, you had to time it and Susan edited the Sunday section. So you needed to give her some lead time. And the Sunday section back then, it's not today, I think the Daily News is read by what, 25 people it looks like. But back then on Sunday, we had a circulation of over 3 million people. So it was a, I had gotten a few pieces in the Daily which had circulation of over two, but the big get was the Sunday entertainment section. For me. So I thought this is perfect. There's a Three Stooges marathon coming up on Channel 11 in a month or so. So it's a great lead time. No one on staff is ever going to come up with this idea. And I mentioned it to my friend Hank, who looked at me like, you know, this is never going to happen, basically, uh, but gave it a shot. So uh, I went into, uh, and it took a lot of courage to cross that barrier into our <laughs> office. <laughs> and uh, and sit down and um, and I said, listen, uh, she was, uh, I said, I'd like to do, I'd like to write for you. And and she was already dubious. I mean, I, I, I knew from my friends that 
you know, going in, they told me she hated you. You know, she didn't even know your name. And, and now you're going in to pitch the three stooges. You, know, you got to, you know, she's going to throw you out of the office. So she listened to the pitch and said, but I knew I, Pete Hamill had told me at an early age, I got to know him when I was a kid, always know who you're writing for. And the one thing I did know, I didn't know how to write probably well. I didn't know how to do any of that, but I knew exactly who bought that paper. And they were people I grew up with. And I knew if I grew up with them, they were watching the Stooges. <laughs> and uh, so I said to Susan, listen, you know, you may not think it's an important story, but they know more about the Stooges than they do about Jane Austen. And they're going to respond to it. I didn't want to interview them. I wanted to write an essay. So she couldn't, she didn't assign it because she said, I don't know if you can write or not, but go do it. And if, you know, it turns out to be okay. Um, if it turns out to be good, I'll publish it. If it turns out to be good. <laughs> you could say if, it, you know, right. and I would if say- If you so, can pull off this personal essay about yes, the, three the three stooges, stooges, we can talk. And I would always say, so when you publish this, she goes, if <laughs> we publish this. So it went back and forth a few times. So she gave me like a week to write it. And, uh, you know, I stayed home and, uh, you know, I worked my shift and then I, it took a week. I, I threw it out a bunch of times. And, and, uh, and also when I handed it in, I didn't want to be there and have her read it in front of me and say, this sucks. Um, so I slid it under a door, office door. And then a week went by, I think, right? And she, nothing, no eye contact, nothing. No, hey, I got the piece, no, nothing. And so, um, and then one uh, late night on a Friday, I was walking out and she said, if you have time now, we can talk about your story. I said, okay, I went in and she really liked it. And she had me, um, uh, she said, it just needs a little editing. And I remember I got up, she said, just stand behind me. And I edit, she edited it really quickly in like 15 minutes. And um, so then it ran and it got me a lot of attention. In those days you got mail, actual mail and phone calls. I mean, the daily news readers were never shy about calling up and telling you, this is great or this is horrible. They would just tell you. It's still true today if you go on Goodreads, you know, <laughs> readers have a lot of opinions. Exactly. So then a week or so that. passed and I got made, uh, I got a call from like the street, Three Stooges fan club, international fan club, and they wanted to name me like Stooge of the Year or something. <laughs> and they said, you can bring a guest. I was like, great, you know. So Hank was my number two choice, but I thought, you know, the editor and... Um, uh, so I, I went into her, once again, went into the dark cave of her office and invited her to a Three Stooges luncheon, which she, you know, bravely said yes to. So that was uh, the start of my writing for her. And, uh, <laughs> and the start of a relationship that would result in, you know, many happy years of marriage and, and two children and really a very important part yeah, of I guess your life. I owe to uh, the Mo, Larry and Curly. Yeah. <laughs> and Shemp, I guess. Shemp, not so much. But, uh, you, you talked a little bit just now about um, knowing your audience and, and knowing who you're writing for. Was there somebody that you were picturing or an audience that you were picturing writing for when you were writing this book? Is there something that you hope readers are going to take away from the book? I think, yeah, I think with Three Dreamers, it's, it really is... Um, it's a book about not only three special women, but it's a book about three special moms. And um, I really think, um, you know, I, I think Lisa Scodolini said it best. It's a book every mother should read more than, uh, which surprised me in a way, because I'm not, you know, usually expect me to kill 57 people in my books. But, um, 
but I, I do think it, it's, it, hits, it hits some emotional buttons for people. I mean, uh, some of the friends of mine who've read it already have reacted pretty emotionally and, and it makes them think about their own past and their own relationships, specifically with the women in their lives. Not so much old girlfriends or things like that, but more personal, like uh, mom and grandma and, and uh, if they're married or uh, uh, a friend of mine called me and, you know, he's, he's been married forever. And he said, he read it and he said, uh, you know, it made me think back to the good times and the bad. I mean, that's, that's, I yeah. think that's, that's a good sign that we did our job that it makes them think of everything, you know, uh, and it makes them miss those, the people. I mean, it's writing Nona. I mean, Nona's always been alive in my mind and probably now in yours. I mean, yeah. we get away from Nona. And uh, so I never think of Nona in the past tense as I know it's a weird thing, but I, she's so alive. And I think it, I think it's true for a lot of people. There's always that one special when you're young, especially when you're a teenager, that, one special person, either a friend or a family member, usually a grandmother or an aunt or somebody that you always have a fond connection with throughout your life. And, you know, 20 years could go by, 40 years could go by, however many years go by, that link is never broken. And uh, the mom said, you know, the, with mom, it made pre people appreciate, you know, the, it's hard for mothers and sons sometimes, you know, especially in, in difficult surroundings. And I know a lot of people who grew up like I did with my mother's relationship with me was very similar to my friends in the neighborhood. Uh, you know, their mothers were, you know, the fathers always kind of cheated on them or they were pulling off scams or whatever they were doing in the, in the neighborhoods. And these women were the ones kind of barely holding it together, holding everything together. Um, but through the difficult moments, you get a little bit of light. You know, for me with my mother, the light was on Sundays taking me to see Italian war movies or the, yeah. the neorealism movies and exposing me to something that I probably would never have been exposed to uh, or just telling me stories when either she or I were in a hospital after, you know, some issue with my father and telling stories late into the night with that. So that'll be a link I think a lot of people find. And, and you know, marriage is... Um, as you'll soon find out, no marriage is easy and uh, there are ups and downs. And so I think, but the reality always hits. Uh, I think it's in the book when I first saw, when I, the same day I sold my first book within an hour that, I, that so you have this elation of an hour that you've sold your first book after, I think I was 35 years old of struggle. And then an hour later, you find out your wife has a tumor that has to be operated on. So, you, so I've always understood that. Uh, and I think people coming from my background under, understand that, that with every good bump, there's always, you know, there's always, always get ready for the other side to hit yeah. so that to keep the balance. So I think it's going to appeal to a lot of um, real people, uh, working class, middle class, um, uh, you know, the kind of people who go to work when it's dark and come back when it's dark, you know, and then, yeah. Um, and buying a book for them is not an easy thing. You know, it's, it's what's 24 bucks. I mean, for them, that's a choice between a book and milk and bread and, you know, stuff for their family. I get that. I, when I was a kid, I once saw a woman, and I was visiting a relative and this woman clipped an art, a book review from the paper and put it on the refrigerator with a magnet. It was a review of a hardcover. And so I was just curious. I said, why, why are you doing that? She goes, in a year, the paperback will be out. I'll go buy it. Yeah. So, 
that's pretty, you know, back then yeah. the paperbacks were four bucks. That book was probably what, 15, 16. She couldn't afford the 16, but the four she could, yeah. And she's willing to wait a year. Right. You know, I wanted to say you could go to the library to get it, but you know, she has her own way and I leave her right. alone. <laughs> right. Good <laughs> reminder about libraries there. Yeah. Um, um, you know, we kind of talked about this book as you were writing a, a writing it as both a celebration of the lives of these three kind of incredible women and also an exploration of how they made you who you are and the influence that they had on your life. Um, Was there anything that surprised you as you were sort of diving into that and exploring that connection? Was there anything where you sort of felt like, Uh, wow, I just really learned something about myself? Yeah. Um, I didn't realize how strong in my mom's section, how strong, how, how strong she influenced me. I really, I thought of the three going in, she was that she had the, uh, uh, not as much influence as Susan and Nona did, but it turned out my mother had, it was on an equal footing. I mean, her stories, yes, they were dark. I mean, her bedtime, thank God she never told me bedtime stories because the one bedtime story was like, you know, would have kept you up for about a month. Um, <laughs> and it was always, you know, with her world war two was always alive. And, and I think the surprise in her, um, with her telling me stories, she would love to talk about, um, you know, people who survive things. And to this day, I do read, I kind of gravitate to some of the books I gravitate to, or the ones who've overcome the biggest obstacles to, to achieve success. Like I'm reading Mike Nichols's, uh, the, the Mark Harris book about Mike Nichols. You know, at four years old, he had the, a, a, an allergic reaction to a, uh, a vaccine and he lost all his body hair. So this kid, this young kid is bald and hairless from day, you know, and this, that, that's gotta be a traumatic thing for a child to go through and people make fun of him, slapping him, slapping him and ridiculing him. And yet that made him that, that, that idea of having to wear a wig and put on fake eyelashes all day, the, every day of his life made him determined to succeed in life. So it's those little bumps in the road that I'm not, a, or major bumps in the road. And my mother kind of amplified that. I mean, each, each, each time I saw her take a, uh, a beating, it, it became like in my in mind prior to writing a book, it was one series of beatings and, or, you know, finding money we didn't have. Um, but in, in between that darkness, there was, there, the light came out, which I didn't expect to see. That surprised me. With Nona, what surprised me the most was uh, I had forgotten how funny she was. To me, yeah. she was kind of funny. And uh, and Susan was just a terrific editor. I mean, um, you know, she made the work. Uh, I mean, what bothered me, the only thing as, as any writer would be bothered when I hand somebody something to read and they have a pencil ready in their hand. <laughs> you know, I, I used to say, like, how do you know it, it, it needs anything? You know, why don't you <laughs> read it? And she goes, oh, I'm sure it'll need something. <laughs> Everything needs something, Lerner, Everything so I can say something. as an editor I know, myself. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> Otherwise, we, we'd be, all be out of jobs. Everything right. needs a little But it, it, it taught me to work well with good editors. And, and you know, you and I work really well. This is, I think, our fourth book together, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's not... Uh, I'm re- one of the other books I'm reading is Michael Corder's book that uh, Harold Robbins, uh, Irv- I'm sorry, Irving Wallace, who was a big time author at that, back when Corda was a young editor, would not allow it. Like if you made a line change, like you do in my books and say this line and, and, and you edit it, he would write you a three paragraph note 
on just that one line change about why you're so wrong. And Corda would get like, you know, think about it, it's a 400 page manuscript. He would get like reams of paper <laughs> and, you know, never, never making any of the changes. And Corda patiently had to deal with that. It would imagine me every time you made one line change saying, all right, and here is why you are wrong. <laughs> Here's a 30 minute explanation of why I'm pushing that. One line or this one word cannot be touched. Um, Yeah, that's something you've you've given me something to be grateful for today. Thank you for that. I'm going to write you a three paragraph note later. But he and he saved it all. Wallace used to send he sent it to some university in Wisconsin. They didn't want it. (laughs) They said, really, we're okay. Thank you. Yeah, we're good. We're good. I mean, we're going to keep all this stuff. And you know, and Corda didn't want it. And Simon Schuster insisted that initially you have to save the author's comments. And he said, it's taken over my office. It was like, you know, thousands of pages. So, um, but it made me appreciate a, a good editor early on. And we were, I was very lucky back then at the news. David Hershey was there, who I think is head of nonfiction at HarperCollins. Um, uh, Jack Sanders was a great editor. So, I mean, you're sure Pete Hamill was my personal editor. I would show Pete everything yeah. I wrote and he would go on and on. So I think it made it easier for me in my career to say, okay, it's a two-person process. It's not just me doing this. And, uh, and I think because of the work we did, Three Dreamers is much better now than it was with First Draft. Yeah. So, um, uh, and that's how I think of First Draft. I, I, a friend of mine calls it the kitchen sink draft. We <laughs> just throw, you throw everything in and you know, then see what happens. But um, anyway, I think I answered your question somewhere. Yeah, no, you did, definitely. Um... So, okay, so I think we're sort of coming up on the uh, moment where we're going to wrap up and you're going to give some recommendations of what you're reading, although you've definitely been doing that throughout as well. Um, But at the start of the call, you know, I said you have been a crime and thriller writer and your next book is a mystery, but you also mentioned that it's, you know, tied to your grandmother. Um, Can you give a little teaser of what the next book is? The the one you and I are currently Yeah, the current, the one that's coming out next year. Um, it's called, it's got a great title. I think it's a throwback. You know, I'm a big mystery fan. I think you came up with a great title. It's called Nona Maria and the Bride and the Case of the Missing Bride. Um, and, uh, I mean, what we did was we took Nona, I guess everybody was taken with her as a character from Three Dreamers. And we decided to turn her into a fictional, I don't want to call her a detective. She's like a snoop in a way. She's, she's a crime solving, uh, uh, woman dressed in black. Um, you know, she always wore the widow's black uh, for, till, from the day my grandfather died to the day she died. So we kept a lot of her personality, I think, right, in the novel. And Absolutely. She looks exactly like she looks, except now she's helping uh, the ca- captain of the Carabinieri solve crimes with her little, large, I guess, eclectic group of friends. And it's been so, a fun time to hang out with her. I, I should mention that uh, Nona Maria, both in real life and in the the forthcoming novelization version of herself lived on the island of Ischia um, off the coast of Italy. And she really seems like this uh, very sort of small town character where she, she knew everybody and she knew everybody's business and everybody came to her for advice. And so she was literally your Nona Maria, but um, she sort of served that role to a lot of people on the island and a lot of people yeah. knew her in that way well, so we really are. did we we read the memoir and we thought <laughs> you know she's pretty amazing there could be another book here 
And what I like, let's see if she I, can solve some crimes. With, and she, I think one of the reasons in, in both in life and in fiction that people came to her was because they trusted her. I mean, Nona Maria never, as you know, from the Three Dreamer book, never would ask you a personal question ever. But at the same token, she wouldn't want a personal question asked of her. And it would be the most innocent personal questions. It would be ridiculous. Um, and uh, I mean, if I have time, I'll give you a quick example. She, uh, we were sitting down and uh, she liked to sit on this stone step in front of the church. Never went in the church because she said they always asked me for money. And um, a guy walked by and said uh, who she knew, waved to her and asked her what she had for what we had for dinner, she and I. And she said we had steak, string beans with oil and lemon and, gar and uh, garlic and a salad, tomato salad. I said, bravo. He walked away. I said, no, no, we had pasta with clam sauce. And she said, what does he care what we had to eat? Why is it important to him to know that? So that's the kind of personality. She was very, I guess, I don't know if that was shaped by her. That was always her personality or, uh, you know, the war years were very difficult ones for her as they were for everyone on that island. But uh, she was a, you know, she was a force of nature and she, and people did trust her and because they knew if you told her a, something personal about yourself and private, that she wouldn't just go gossiping it around the neighborhood. And, uh, and then she was, she was a problem solver. People went to her to solve problems. And, uh, but in her island, in her world, she was Sherlock Holmes in a lot of ways. And uh, so I think why not make her Sherlock Holmes? Yeah. <laughs> With a limp and white hair and one tooth. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was, it's been a fun book to write, I have to say. Yeah. So if you pick up a copy of Three Dreamers and you um, fall in love with Nona Maria, as I did, just know that there's, there's more return. of her. The good news is Nona Maria, Nona Maria always will return. Yeah. In one way or another, she will always come back. Well, I think that's probably a good note for us to end on about Three Dreamers. Can you tell us a little bit what you're reading right now? Any book recommendations? Yeah, I just, I, some I finished, which I loved. I, re I read Gabriel Byrne, the actor's memoir, which is not big, it's less than 200 pages. I was really taken with it. I thought he did a great job. I read a terrific first novel called Fortune Favors the Dead. I forget the name of the author. I'm sorry, but I, I really liked it. Thanks oh, yeah, to I you. think that's on my, uh, that's on my to be read pile. Yeah, I had a great time reading it. I think you'll enjoy it. And thanks to you, I'm like on this Anthony Horowitz kick. I'm on yeah. Uh, he's terrific. I mean, he's terrific. My son got me turned on to Tana. Is that how you pronounce it? Tana French or Tana, Tana French? Yeah. Uh, with the Dublin uh, Murder Club, which I think is. Yeah. Really which one are you reading? I love I'm her. reading uh, Safe Harbor. Is mm, that no mm -hmm. Broken Harbor? Broken Harbor. Sorry. Yes. Is yeah. Broken, yeah. Broken Harbor. And uh, and I'm reading the Mike Nichols and um, uh, Mark Harris bio. And Al Michael Corder wrote uh, this, I guess, his uh, you should read, I don't know if you've read the, the one, it's about his whole career at Simon & Schuster uh, called Another Life. And uh, it's just really, I mean, it's the book publishing business in the 50s, 60s, it takes it through multiple decades and it shows you how um, it changed. And uh, this is a great note, we'll end on this for an editor. Harold Robbins, towards the end of his life, he did a half, half of, he would uh, turn in half his book to you, say, and then, Three months later, the second half. So Corda would edit the first half, put it aside, and then the second half would come in, he'd edit, put it together. On this particular book, the first half and the second half, the characters, Anne was now Julie. Uh, <laughs> Frank was George. And, 
And uh, so he has to meet with Robbins, who had no interest in doing second, third. He would let you do it. He only cared about writing first draft, doing publicity and making it a bestseller. The middle part, the, he never did copy edit. He never did any of that stuff. So Corda now has to convince him to, you know, straighten this mess out. <laughs> and he's listening. He's smoking a cigar, a cigarette. And he finally says, Mike, let the reader figure it out. <laughs> and, and Corda said, no, we're going to get thousands and thousands of letters, you know, saying this is ridiculous. And he says, yeah, I don't care. You know, I don't care. And the truth is they published it as a mishmash, you know, and stayed Julie and the whole thing. And to this day, Corda said, we have not received one letter of complaint and it was a bestseller. (laughs) So he said that that either says a lot about Harold's talent or his readers inability to pay attention. I don't know. Uh, That's a ringing endorsement for three dreamers. All of the people have the same names at the end of the book as they do at the start. (laughs) We we did not change names. Um, well, Lorenzo, it was great catching up with you, um, you. and, and talking you. about Three Dreamers. Um, such a wonderful, very special book. And, you know, I, I hope readers really love it. I hope so, too. And thank you for all your help on it. It was, uh, it was a great partnership, actually, and hope it continues for a long time. Here, here. Thank you for listening to Books Connect Us. For more great book recommendations and information about your favorite authors, feel free to follow Penguin Random House on social media or visit penguinrandomhouse.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps more listeners to find our show. This podcast is produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. I've been Aaron Leaf, and until next time, this has been Books Connect Us.